I remember one time I dropped my wallet out of a taxi and we drove for like 15 minutes and I realized it wasn't in my pocket. I was like, oh crap. So I had the taxi driver turn around and go back to the parking lot and we pulled in and I, and it was dark and I'm looking around and then this Bangladeshi guy comes running up with my wallet in his hand, Mr. 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 And then gave it back to me and without even blinking an eye, just turned around and left. This is the final call for me. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 385. At 44,802 square kilometers, or over 17,000 square miles, Canada's Wood Buffalo Park is the largest national park in all of Canada, and it's so big that it's bigger than both the country of Switzerland and the country of the Netherlands. When it comes to jet-setting around the world, today's guest, Mikel Thurup, puts me to shame. He's the type of guy who will fly to New York just for a quick little business trip. So he understands, as well as anyone, the value of traveling light and quick. And for me, the best way to travel light, the, the backpack, the luggage that I've been using to travel light around the world for the last six years is my Tortuga backpack. So I do not want any type of check bags when I'm traveling. I want to carry on. I want to be able to get on the plane. When the plane lands, I want to be able to get off and get to my destination as quick as possible, not worry about bags that are lost or anything like that. So if you're the same way, if you're someone who says, I don't want to deal with check bags anymore, check out tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. They are the best travel carry-on size backpacks out there. Remember, to get 10% off anything you order, you have to go to tortugabackpacks.com slash EPOP. By going to that address, when you check out, you'll get automatically put in a coupon code there that will get you 10% off anything you order. So check it out, tortugabackpacks.com slash EPOP. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has lived everywhere from Banff and the Canadian Arctic to Singapore and Dubai, who's traveled to almost 100 countries and who believes that just because you're born in one country doesn't mean that you have to keep your money and investments there. Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. Mikkel, thanks for joining me and a big welcome. My pleasure. It's great to be here, Travis. Thank you very much. And uh, just before we popped on and hit record, I was telling you how excited I was about this because there are a lot of questions and misconceptions that swirl around about money and investments and taxes and all that kind of stuff abroad and the best way to structure stuff, especially for people who make some or all their money online and you know live in this location-independent digital nomad sphere. So we're going to dive into all that kind of stuff. I, I also want to tell you I'm coming at it from a perspective, and you probably hear this a lot, of like a skeptical but curious perspective. Is that usually how you find people interacting with you in the beginning? 
Uh, I think that's a pretty fair judgment. Yeah, you could say that. Um, I will preface it the entire conversation if we're talking about taxes. This is not individual tax advice. I am not a tax lawyer. I am not a tax accountant. Um, I do general and we can talk about um, the philosophy of tax and why I think expats don't need to be paying taxes. Yeah, and I and the the reason I bring the skeptical point up, I just did an interview on another show, and they were, you know, my forte, frequent fire miles. They were saying, yeah, you know, you're that's kind of the the vein that I find myself in. People are like, oh, I'm interested in this, but you're going to talk about credit cards, and I like that. Like, I'd rather someone be skeptical and come with me with a bunch of questions and kind of do their due diligence versus, oh yeah, Trav or Mikel, whatever you say. Like, let's just wa- let's just do whatever you say. So I'm interested to to chat with you about that because it is a area of like expertise that you have that I've been interested in in a long time. But before we get into all that questions and all that kind of stuff, I want to dive into your background a bit because you spent the last 20 years continually traveling. How did, how did that start? Because this is now not just a part of your life, but it it is your life. So it uh, depends how far you want to take it back. Like we can go straight into the first travel, like my face, first big trip. We can talk what motivated the trips. I don't know, man. It's up to you where you yeah, want to start. I, I, let's go all the way back. I love that. What motivated this desire to even to get out and to start, again, making travel a part of your life? Okay, let's see. So when I was growing up, um, I was diagnosed with a learning disability, which was very interesting. You know, I was probably, I want to say I was in grade three and they told me, Mikkel, your brain doesn't work the same as everyone else's. Something is wrong with your brain. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. You know, this is the 1980s, you know, so it's not exactly PC, but um, basically it was a type of dyslexia that I have. And they ended up taking me out of my neighborhood school and they sent me um, across town in a little white bus and I drove there and uh, it was terrible. I hated school and I got picked on and I got bullied and all I wanted to do was leave. And probably by around 12 years old, I started doing really poorly in school. And um, and I started basically not going anymore. And at 15, that was it. I was out the door. I was done with school. I was done with all of this type of stuff. And if you fast forward a little bit, I went on a trip with my father when I was about 16, 17 years old. And we went to Ireland, England, and Wales. And my dad, my entire life, had told me, you know, traveling was the best thing he had ever done. And I had this background where, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I fit in. And then this opportunity came to me and I started traveling and I started seeing the world and I started meeting people who were not really like the people I had met back home. And I felt like, wow, this is like, these are like my people, you know, this is my thing. And, uh, you know, one trip led into another, led into another, led into another. I was, after that trip, I think I spent five months in uh, Western Europe and North Africa. I was like 19 years old. Then I moved out to Western Canada. I spent 18 months through the ski resorts, Banff, Lake Louise, things like this. And then I started hitchhiking through Central and South America. I was, uh, you know, United States, Mexico, Belize, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Panama, El Salvador. I took a yacht to Colombia. I was two months in Colombia. Yeah, basically 18 months with a tent. Um, a jar of peanut butter and my thumb out basically. So, um, yeah, it's good. And, and the travels have just not really, they've never really stopped, you know, now, now I'm 35 and I've been at this for roughly 20 years now and, uh, yeah, good times, man. Yeah. What was it then with school that, you know, you said 15, you're like, I'm done. 
what was the feedback from from family? Because it seems like you mentioned your dad took you on that trip. So were they supportive of this of this desire for, of yours to get out and go do different things? Oh, God, no, no. They thought I was crazy. Like, even though my father had traveled a lot and so had my mother, I think maybe those first trips like they were OK with. But the leaving school, no, that they were not cool with that at all. They thought this is the worst decision ever. Actually, now I'm very proud that I left school at such a young age and I knew that it was not for me and I didn't belong there. And, you know, I don't think schooling, I don't think anything is for everyone, you know? So I am proud of myself that at 15 and well, even at 12, I had that uh, courage to actually understand that this was not right for me and to go out there and make my own way. But I'm a complete autodidact. I'm completely self-taught. I read more than 100 books a year. I spend $50,000 a year on coaching and training and masterminds for myself to educate myself. I believe in uh, education and self-learning, but I just find that uh, formalized education is really not for everybody. And I really think that unless you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or maybe a handful of other professions, that in this day and age... School is really not the best option for many, many people. And it's certainly, if you want to be an entrepreneur, school is not the best place for you. You know, go out there, find a mentor, find someone that is doing what you want to do, and then have them teach you, model them, you know, learn from it, you know, go back in time, just like we had apprentices and, and really learn from someone who's doing what you want to do. And that's, that's how I like to learn now. Yeah. And I, I would echo your sentiments too. Not that I was, uh, as pressure, um, like, on the ball as you were when you were 15, because I went through school and then I went to university and things like that. But I have found that a lot of the people that I interact with now, not not all of them didn't finish school or didn't go to college, but a, a decent amount have, like are in that bucket that you're in. And most of them are proud of that. And I actually look at them and I kind of say, yeah, that's cool. Like you made a decision when everyone else was telling you, no, 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 no. Or, you know, even if they weren't telling you that society kind of put that on you and you said, no, this, this is what's right for me. And it took me a while to figure that out, actually. And so you were just there 10 years before I was, which is pretty cool. Now, that idea of mentorship, too, was that what got you into what you're doing now with the investing abroad and the, and the different things like that? Did you find a mentor? And how did you fall down that rabbit hole? Well, a lot of my mentors are actually more in the marketing space because that's really the field that I have such a, a strong drive to. I like the psychology of marketing and I'm certainly not talking about, you know, giant Coca-Cola billboards on the side of the road. I'm talking about direct response marketing and copywriting. And, you know, we mentioned, or you mentioned earlier that, um, I work in the expat space or the offshore space and that's true. But really what I do is I do a lot of the marketing for that. And I understand the psychology behind that. And I do the writing and the content and things like that. So I'm an expert on the, on the content, but the things that drive me are, are the marketing, you know, this guerrilla direct response, you know, underground, sometimes spammy looking. I love the really spammy looking banner ads and stuff. I think they're so neat, you know, and but uh, that, that's kind of where I come from, especially with my mentors. You know, I have a couple of fantastic, phenomenal mentors who have been very generous with their time. And, and I learned a lot from. So then how did you decide you know, you say you like the marketing aspect of it. How did you decide that the content that you would be marketing would be this offshore and expat space? What brought you to that? Was it just out of your own desire to basically save money? So 
I think when you start as an entrepreneur, one of the best things that you can be doing is looking at your history. Look at the things that you normally do in your everyday life that you are already an expert in, and then you figure out how to leverage that. Well, I've been an expat for 20 years. You know, in your intro, you said you've been to almost 100 countries. I've now been to 104 countries. So, like, I've traveled a lot, and I legally, I legally do not pay any tax. I am a non-resident of Canada, and I live full-time in the Middle East, and when I, when I say this, I will preface it. We have a 5% VAT here, which came in in January of 2018. But for income tax, there is zero income tax here. And I structure all my investments overseas and I hold LLCs that hold different properties. And for me, this was normal life. Like this is just stuff that I have done for 10 years. And then a few years ago, I started doing some additional reading on it. And it was like, like there is a whole subculture of people who follow this type of information. So I start putting out content and um, yeah, and then really got an affinity towards it. But I think the driving force for me is that marketing. You know, I think it's like I just study it all day long, every day. And it's just so cool. I don't know. So that, that's kind of the, the, the joint between the two, you can say. Yeah, when you first got into it, because you say, hey, this was just something I, I had done. And I loved that you prefaced it by saying, as an entrepreneur, look at what you've done and then figure out what you're an expert in, because you're, you're probably an expert in something already. Or at least if pe- a lot of people don't like to call themselves an expert, they think they have to be the absolute best in the world at something. And that's totally not true. Um, and a battle we fight like all the time, right? But what can you teach that you've already been doing? For me, it was, it was like, I'm already using frequent fire miles. Hey, wait a second. If you know nothing, I can teach you even if I'm not, even if I'm a five out of 10 right now. And now, you know, now I'm probably a nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. But even when I started, it was like, I don't know everything, but I certainly know more than, than someone who knows nothing. And that, that was kind of our path as well. But for you then you said, all right, well, I was just doing it already. I had these LLCs offshore, blah, blah, blah. What, like, was it scary for you to get into something like that? Or were you nervous? Because again, this is. I think that's one of the misconceptions or at least one of the skepticisms that come out is like, well, what if I do this and it's wrong? You know, it seems like a big thing to take on for a lot of people. Okay, well, straight off the bat, anyone who wants to get into entrepreneurship, you must understand that you are going to fall on your face for at least the first couple of businesses. You know, this is not the this is not my first time at the rodeo. You know, I had t-shirt companies. I tried to start a gym. I tried a fitness thing. I did I did a whole bunch of random stuff, you know? And that was all preparation to move on to what I am working on now. I meet because I, I do coaching and consulting with new entrepreneurs, with new business owners. And a lot of them are really scared of getting going, scared right in the very beginning. And it's like, no, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. It's okay to lose money. You know, that's normal. Yes, read the books. Yes, have an understanding. Yes, have a mentor. But at the same time, you need to get started. If you don't get started, really, you're not, you're not going to do anything. Now, you said you started with uh, frequent flyer miles and you were a five. When you start teaching for other people, when you start showing people what you know, actually, that's going to help make you better at your own thing. So I looked at my life and I was doing one thing already. I was already investing overseas. I have gold and silver and options and bonds and all this stuff around the world. But, you know, when I needed to explain it to someone else is when it became a lot more crystal in my mind. You know, how do I take these complex subjects? You know, I traded options for seven years and it is very intimidating. It is very difficult to start. 
You know, I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars before I started making hundreds of thousands of dollars. But, you know, I had to go through that to, to get good at it. And I just think like when I start explaining it to other people and I have to take these complex subjects and I have to make them, you know, into analogies and stories and examples and case studies and, and understand the way that people learn and the process that people learn in and then still make it entertaining and don't make it dry. Like, I think you can already tell I'm a pretty upbeat, you know, energetic. I'm very opinionated, you know, I have my own podcast, so like I really go on some serious rants there on the expat money show. And, you know, I think all these things help when you're trying to start a business, if that makes sense, Trav. Yeah, it's, it certainly does, because I, I found the same exact thing. When I had to start teaching someone something, I started learning even more because I, I you did, you had a in your head, dummy it down, but get you basically had to get down to the basics and say, if someone doesn't care about this as much as I do, you know, what can I give them that's going to get them started? And that, that, you know, it cuts away all the extra stuff and really distills something down, which I think is, again, why when you're teaching something, you re- you're learning it probably as much as the person that you're actually teaching. You talked about some of those those big mistakes when you started. What what were some of those? Whether we're talking, you can dive into like the entrepreneurial thing or when we're talking about investing or offshore stuff that you were like, okay, this was a big mistake. I learned from it. I came out on the other side, but yeah, I, I messed up here. Ooh, okay. Uh, on the entrepreneurial side, let's see. Um, definitely trying to do everything yourself is, I think, something that so many people fall into. I think it's really important to understand those one, two, three core competencies that you have, your strengths, and then, you know, outsource the other stuff to everyone else. But I think one step before that is really to have an understanding of the other things so that when you get someone else to do it, you know what it should look like. You know, like I understand accounting. I took random accounting programs, free courses online so I could learn accounting. I don't do my own accounting, but I need to be able to look at the books and read a balance sheet and know, is this right? Is this wrong? Am I being screwed over here? You know, does this person who is interviewing for the job know what they're talking about? Like, you know, I can do graphic design. You know, I, I built my website, I built the design, but I often hire someone else but I already have a visual idea of how it should go. But I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, they try to do, they try to be masters at everything. You know, not just a little bit of understanding, but they really think no one's going to be able to do it as well as I can. I, you know, no one will care as much as I can. You know, you hear all of these types of things and I, and I just don't think it's true to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. And I, I'm raising my hand because that was me, you know, fat, like rewind a couple years ago when you think, well, who's going to come in and do this better than me? Not even that I thought I was good at it, but yeah, who's going to care? And then you outsource all of a sudden, you're like, wow, they're way better, way quicker. I didn't have to do it. It looks, you know, it's like it's just a lot better in general. Um, what about mistakes? Like if we if we pivot a little bit to the investing and the expat money and things like that, what are some of the mistakes that you made when you started that other people either you see other people making or you tell them about right off the bat, like, Hey, you know, don't do this thing that I did. Okay. Well, I can think of one time in my trading history that was a few years ago now, but, and it's definitely applicable to the expat space is because, um, I trade options and equities 
on an international market, I would be doing it in different currencies. And when I was leveraging things, sometimes I'd be leveraging in, you know, USD, but it would be held, I'd have um, CAD, Canadian in the account. And I didn't realize at the time, now this was really dumb, that they actually hold a an overnight fee for every night that would go by. So I would, I'd be having leverage on an account that was going for like four months in a currency that was not mine. And I was not paying attention because I was playing with a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars back and forth. And uh, and it wasn't until I really started going through the transaction, not transaction history, the um, the statements and would see the, these chunks of money. And I had to, you know, everything's written in code basically when you're working with a broker. So I have to get on the phone with the broker. And I was like, what is this? What does this mean? What the hell is this? And, you know, losing giant sums of money because of conversion fees between currencies. So I think anytime that you're working across borders, you know, you really want to pay attention uh, what currencies you're working in, what currencies you're holding, you know, and the fluctuation between the different markets. Like, for example, right now, I live in Abu Dhabi. I live in the Middle East. So I work in Durham's and I get paid in, I, I, I pay my house in Durham's and my food in Durham's, which is pegged to the USD. But I don't have any USD investments. I have, I'm out of the USD right now. I've got bonds in the UK that I bought, you know, a month or two after Brexit. And so you have to watch all the different currencies when you're investing. You know, we own properties in China. So I have to watch the RMB as well. And if we're, you know, my wife is from China, so we own houses there. So if we want to purchase a new place, what type the currency is, and then how we're sending it and the conversion fees, I don't know. It's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yeah, I, I do some of that, but not in any different currency. So I'm listening to you like, oh my gosh, now he's adding a, a layer of complexity on that, that, like you said, if you're not careful or you're not watching closely, it can really burn you. What about opportunities for people like because you're sitting here saying all right we, we trade options hundreds of thousand dollars we have real estate in in china you might have real estate other places what about opportunities for quote-unquote regular people for someone who's sitting there saying all right i have a business maybe i'm in the u.s or canada i'm just doing the normal thing making my income paying out my u.s or canadian taxes and that's it like i'm operating solely in one area but like like someone like me. But hey, I'm curious as to what type of opportunities I could have or what type of advantages there are out there for someone who's just looking to dabble or get started. Okay, so that's interesting because as we're recording this, I want to make sure that I'm not giving anything away that's, um, how to say, uh, applicable right at this moment, you know, because if your guests are listening to this show and, and I don't know how your podcast is, but mine is evergreen. So I want my guests to be able to li or my listeners to be able to listen to it five years from now. So I'd be remiss to say, okay, you should go and look at this investment. You should go look in th that investment. However, I will say that I believe that the equity markets right now, basically stocks, you know, New York stock exchange, things like that are completely overbought. I think things like Facebook and Apple and um, Tesla and all these tech companies are way overbought. And I liquidated all of my equity positions about six months ago and got out because I see a giant crash coming. Um, I think that there are major opportunities in precious metals right now. I actually published a 
giant 5,000-word report on electric vehicle metals. I think the metals that go into those, the actual batteries themselves, is really, really exciting. So opposed to getting involved in Tesla, which is the car manufacturer, get involved in the metals that go into making the batteries. It is a little bit of a speculative play. You know, these are things that, you know, this is definitely uh, a little bit more, not advanced, but a little bit more risky than your mom and pop type of things you would find in a mutual fund or, you know, down the street real estate, you know, but the opportunity for return is really there. You know, if you can put $10,000, $20,000 inside into some types of precious metals, you know, it wouldn't be unheard of to have a 300% return in the next, you know, 26 months, 28 months, something like that. So then what about people who are sitting there saying, all right, so that, that makes sense. Like that was well put. All right. I'm, I understand like everyone talks about stocks. Here's I'm looking at, you know, again, you're not buying, um, you're not going panning for gold, but you're the dude selling the shovel. Isn't that the old analogy, right? Like, hey, that is dude. exactly the so, analogy. That's yeah. Exactly so, it. and they, and they understand that and they get that. What, a what would you say then as far as not even just investing your money, but also what people might want to do when it does. And again, we're not, we're not asking for individual tax advice, but just as a, as a general strategy, because like you said, I want it to be evergreen. So if someone is sitting there saying, I make some money, I don't want to pay, or I don't want to pay as many taxes, or I have the ability to possibly not pay as many taxes. I'll look at this investing side, but the other part of the side is how I can actually save the money that I'm already putting out. And that's, you know, that's towards taxes and things like that. What would you, what would you like give for the advice for someone who is that, like a regular person who's sitting here saying, I'm location independent, I'm a digital nomad. Um, and I'm willing to do a little bit of stuff to kind of maybe sell myself some money. So you can go to expattaxhacks.com and in it, I have a video which really explains a lot of these things. But for most people, if you are living overseas and you are an expat and you are American, I have to preface it, all of these types of things. Um, the big one is the foreign earned income exclusion. And really, this is going to shelter at least uh, roughly a hundred thousand US dollars of your money. So I, I prepared a video for that and you can, you know, enter in your email address, watch that. And I have a whole course that goes along with that, that really breaks down on how the foreign in or the foreign earned income exclusion works. And really it's one of a dozen strategies that can really save you a lot of money. Now, all of this is dependent on how much money you are making and where you are living and how much time you spend out of the United States. But, you know, for a couple that's living abroad and doing well for themselves, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that they're making a quarter million dollars a year and not paying taxes. And once again, this is all legal. This is part of the tax code. I mean, this is not uh, dodgy or fraudulent behavior. You still have to file a tax return. There are certain ways that this need to be done. And in the course, I talk to some really experienced um, IRS registered agents and tax lawyers and things like this to get these hacks to make sure that you're legally not paying taxes. Yeah. And that is for, if you guys are listening, that's, I think, 330 days you have to spend out of the US. I know other countries are different. I think Australia's much more lenient, 180 or somewhere in there, right? Like half a year you can be out, half a year you can be in the US. And and that is, uh, for some people, like you mentioned, if you're living outside of the country already, this is something 
you may want to take advantage of. And, and what I did when I was living in Japan, because I was spending time out of the, out of the country, and that was a little different because I was working for a company there. But um, with Canada, then, is that is that similar? Is that essentially what you're doing in uh, with your stuff with Canada? You're out, you're living outside of the, the country. So you're able to to claim whatever that is, the foreign earned income exclusion, whatever you guys call it there. So it works a little bit differently with Canadians and with pretty much every other country in the world because the U.S. is the only, well, I say the only country that has worldwide taxation. There is Eritrea, but they're known to have, you know, human rights violations by their government. Like, But besides Eritrea, the U.S. is the only country in the world that actually taxes their citizens while they live abroad. So for Canada, I am a non-resident. I don't own anything in Canada. I got rid of all of my stuff years and years ago. And uh, and I've told the government very clearly that I am not going back. And, and I, I haven't been there in, I think, three years now or something like that. So they'd be pretty hard-pressed to come after me um, for any money. So then if you are... U.S. based and and you're living in the U.S. right now and you say, all right, well, I can't take advantage of the uh, foreign earned income exclusion because I'm not going to be out of the country 330 days. Are there other things that people can do if you are a digital nomad or you are location independent? So let's say you're not out of the country 330 days. Is there any other, I, I guess, like you said, tax hacks that you could take advantage of because you're earning your money online? Or is it like, hey, if you're in the U.S. and you're in through your you're in more than 30 days, going to be pretty dicey. It's it's pretty tough. You know, they keep a pretty tight stranglehold on these types of things. And I will say, you know, in whichever situation you are in, it is your responsibility to file your tax return. You know, none of this is about um, withholding information from them. But the majority of the people that I work with are specifically expats. So as you say, like there are, there are options that go on with, you know, setting up offshore companies and me and my team do set up offshore companies, but a lot of these things are probably not going to help you in your, in, in your situation. If you are us based, they might help you with asset protection, you know, protecting yourself from litigation, you know, regaining maybe a little bit of privacy, things like this. But as for reducing your tax, you know, that's a tricky one, Travis. It's a tricky one. So then I guess the follow-up question to that would be, with offshore companies, is there any reason to look into it if you are in the US or is there a number amount that you would say, just again, we're talking generalities here. Hey, if you make X amount with your company, maybe now you should start considering doing something offshore and anything under that is probably just not worth it because of the complexity or, or the time it takes to set up. Well, offshore companies, you know, they are a lot more expensive than setting up something in just Wyoming or, you know, for those ones, you can do a couple hundred bucks. Usually we work around the two and a half thousand dollar mark to set up an offshore company, which is not the most expensive out there, but it's certainly not the cheapest. You know, I really feel like with an offshore structure, you get what you pay for. And as I mentioned a moment ago, really, it can add layers of privacy and protection. So if you have a type of business and it, once again, doesn't work for all types of businesses, but you know, if you're worried about getting sued, it's going to be very difficult to come after your assets, to come after your livelihood, your money, if your company is owned in, you know, in Belize or in the Seychelles or one of these places, you know, that have strong asset protection laws, you know, like British Virgin Island, they're really going to be on the side of the LLC. Their, their laws are going to prevent. So, 
it's going to be difficult for someone to 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 go after your money. So I think those are all advantages, and it and it depends on the type of business you have. Is it a business where you have a high chance of being sued? You know, maybe something like this is a good option. Is it a chance where there's just never in a million years? Well, probably, you know, there might be other options for you. You know, there's some great places in the United States to incorporate your business. But uh, but yeah, for, for the right people, offshore structures is fantastic. And there are some very powerful things we can do with it. And so just to recap then with offshore stuff, the the biggest advantage is that protection and is that you know, that liability protection that you're going to get if, if something happens, if you're going to be sued, not exactly the, uh, the, Hey, you're going to save money on taxes or you're, or you're not going well, to have to you, pay. You are going to save tax money on taxes. If you are living outside of the United States or for non-Americans. So as a Canadian owning an offshore company and running my money through there and using offshore banking, there are definite tax advantages, but for an American with a mom and pop store down the street, no, it's probably not going to help out on the tax side. Yeah, even a even yeah, even a virtual mom and pop store, right? Like it doesn't really yeah. matter. You're you're in the US and if I'm not spending 330 days or more outside of the US, almost no matter what I do with where my company is, it's not going to it's not going to help as far yeah, as saving. If you're an F, if you're an Amazon FBL, FBA seller and you're selling toys or something like that and you're living your entire year in Florida, you know, even though you have a digital business and it might be small and, you know, it's it's tricky, you know, there are ways. And uh, I think for a lot of that stuff, people have to really book into a consultation, you know, get in front of a tax lawyer, talk, speak to your CPA. This is why this whole subject, it's tricky, you know, like uh, the, the U.S. government, they're really sensitive about this type of stuff. Yeah, they want their money and they're they're going to do want everything. Their money and don't mess. Don't <laughs> yeah, mess. That's right. What are what are then all right some of the biggest opportunities for people who are willing to do a bit more work or uproot themselves? So we talked about the foreign earned income exclusion, three hundred and thirty days outside of the U.S. So if someone is saying like you did with Canada, you're like, all right, I'm I don't really have any desire to be here. I'm not going to come back. I'm not going to. I'm certainly not going to live my life here. What would be some of the places that you found both? You know, combining both this idea of a great, like great for businesses and great for structuring that kind of stuff, and with actually lifestyle, and and you've seen a lot. You've been 104 countries now. What are some of the places that you're like, hey, these? If you are going to uproot yourself, you are going to live somewhere else. Here's like a laundry list of places that that you should consider. Well, definitely the Middle East. You know, I don't know why people have the the opinions of the Middle East. Like Middle East is really big. Middle East is not Baghdad. You know, Baghdad is a city. It is a place. Iraq is a place. Syria is a place. But that's not the entirety of the Middle East. You know, we're talking about a massive region. So, you know, you go over to Bahrain, to Oman, to Qatar, UAE, where I live. You know, a lot of these places have really fantastic tax laws. And the standard of living is amazing. English is spoken on the street. You know, I've been here seven years. I speak probably seven words of Arabic. It is an English speaking country. The, there's 90% of the population are expats. So only 10% of the locals are, are local people. So, you know, my daughter, when she goes out to the park and stuff like that, she's playing with kids who speak Hindi and Filipino and Tagalog and, um, you know, French and German, like literally every language in the world. And, and, you know, and there's other Chinese, like I'm Canadian, but my wife's from China. There's other Chinese families here. So we spend time with them. 
I think that the Middle East is a really fantastic place. I always encourage people to see it on their own. And there's Dubai, which everybody knows, but Abu Dhabi, we're only an hour away. And, you know, zero income tax, 5% VAT. That's it. Like, it's hard to beat that, my friend. Hard to beat that. Yeah, it is. Is that what originally brought you to the UAE? Was this, hey, this is a good place to start? I mean, I've got zero income tax. Or was there other reasons that brought you there originally? Well, one of the it is one of the reasons, and it was nicer before the five percent VAT. But you know, five percent is still pretty decent. Um, one of the big things that I really love here is the safety. So I travel an exceptional amount. I am gone at conferences and speaking on stage and business meetings and masterminds and looking at real estate and all kinds of crap. So when I go away, even if it's for only two or three days, I don't have to worry about. You know, what's going to happen to my wife, my daughter? I have, my mother lives here as well. So I'm not worried about what's going to happen to them. You know, if my wife has to walk down the street and it's two o'clock in the morning and she's downtown, I won't even be a little bit concerned. It is so safe here. I've never seen any type of violent. I've never seen any type of crime here, you know, then let alone violent crime. Like I've dropped my wallet. I remember one time I dropped my wallet out of a taxi. And we drove for like 15 minutes and I realized it wasn't in my pocket. I was like, oh, crap. So I had the taxi driver turn around and go back to the parking lot. And we pulled in and I and it was dark and I'm looking around. And then this Bangladeshi guy comes running up with my wallet in his hand. Mr. 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 And then gave it back to me. And without even blinking an eye, just turned around and left. Like just gave me my wallet. Didn't expect a reward. Like I could barely get a thank you out to him before he was gone, you know, like it's, it's amazing here. I just, I'm so in love with this country, Travis, you know, I really love the Middle East. I really love the UAE specifically. Yeah. I think that's a great point that you mentioned of, of people going and seeing it for themselves because you, I mean, I know why people think what they do about the Middle East. So, so do you, right? It's like, it's because that's what they, that's what we see on Western news. And, um, and of course, there's stuff that happens in certain areas that you don't want to overlook. That being said, you're like, this is a region. This is not like a tiny little place where where all the violence is happening. You've got so many fantastic countries. And as you mentioned, like, so you've been there seven years and just had a fabulous experience. Is there any other place that you could see yourself moving to or places that you've spent a decent amount of time in? Even if you're like, hey, I'm always going to be in the UAE or I think I'm going to always be in the UAE. But if I had to go somewhere here's where else I would I would start looking or here's where I might settle down. Well, yeah, like I said, we have a home in China, so we spend part of the year there, which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, my wife is not from the, well, I say not a big city. It's a city of 5 million people, um, but it's called Goyang, and it's, it's very beautiful. It's very mountainous and green and it's very clean. There's no pollution, no nothing like this. So I think that's a really beautiful place. Uh, we are shopping for a house in Thailand right now. Um, I'm a celiac, so I can't eat wheat or gluten or anything like that. And Thai food, they don't use any wheat. It's amazing. So I can literally go to a restaurant and order anything I want, which is just such a novelty to me. So yeah, we're shopping for a house in Thailand right now, which I think is pretty cool. But yeah, man, I've I've lived in, I was in New Zealand for a year. I lived in Australia for three years. Those were both great experiences. I was in Singapore for a year, um, all over Canada. I lived in Guatemala for five months. Um, lots of places I would love to go back to. Lots of places. Life is long, you know. There's lots of cool stuff out there. Yeah, you mentioned real estate and, and getting into that, and I want to touch on that for a bit. Where First, I guess, start us off with where you have 
certain real estate holdings and you know and maybe how much you have in the in those areas because I'd like to know personally and then we can get into why you have them in certain areas and then what you might see as like opportunities for other people. Yeah, so I rent an apartment here in the Middle East because I don't believe I don't believe in buying here. I feel like the government has a little bit too much control so I don't want that deep of roots. But we got three places in China. And I'm currently, if everything goes according to plan, looking at some places in Panama and a couple other places in Central America, in Belize and things like that. So there's some nice programs that are going on, some agricultural land that I'm looking at. Um, you know, I think some stuff in Panama right now is going to be very good, um, especially with the agriculture and having the Panama Canal and being able to ship the food all over the place. That's pretty neat. I'm looking at some teak plantations for uh, growing hardwoods. So, you know, so there's some pretty neat stuff in the go right now. And I talk about all of this stuff on my podcast at the Expat Money Show or on my blog. I've got a daily newsletter, which is like all the behind the scenes stuff of what I'm talking about. So my blog and the podcast is really well polished. It's really world class, just like your podcast. But the EMS Pulse, my newsletter is, you know, I just landed in um, in Singapore and this is what I'm doing. And today I've got to go, you know, meet the CEO of a gold vault and I've got a film crew there with me and we're going to be filming all day. And then two days later, I have to go to Washington and it's it's that behind the scenes raw. I bang them out in about 45 minutes every day. So, you know, if your listeners are into that kind of stuff, I would definitely recommend it. And then you can kind of see the investments and where I put my own money which is current today, like right now. And uh, yeah, you have to forgive me on a couple of the spelling mistakes, but if you're okay with all that, then I definitely encourage it. Hey, anyone who's doing it daily has my seal of approval there because that's that's a lot a lot of work and also pretty neat because I, I love seeing that side of it. Like, hey, here's, like you said, here's the polish side. Here's the stuff I thought about for a long time, wrote this epic blog post, rewrote it, edited it, blah, 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 blah. You know, went through all these iterations. And then, by the way, Here's where you just get to see my day to day. It's like it's like a little bit more of a look than and a, probably a more realistic look than checking out Instagram and you have one picture and you're like flying into Singapore. Oh, life is great. It's like, by the way, I slept two hours last night, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, business meetings when you're jet lagged and investments that went bad. And I try to do a little bit of teaching in there. But really, the whole thing is a giant case study of building a international business, you know, as an expat. You know, what does this look like? How does this work? You know, what kind of money am I spending? What, you know, what are the mistakes I'm making? You know, if you can learn from that kind of storytelling, then, and I think it's very powerful. If you just take it, well, you know, he didn't put too much information in and there's, you know, I'm not using bullet points and okay, first you do this and first and second you do that. No, this is like, this is just my life, you know? Um, I think it's fun. I enjoy writing it. I get a lot of engagement, so I get a lot of emails back and forth. I do promise that I will read every single email that comes in. It might take me a little bit to get back to people, but 100% I read every single message that comes in, and I always reply. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's like learning from watching your friend do it, right? Or someone you know. You're like, hey, I might not. they might not sit down with me every week and give me a do this, do this, do this. But I'm gaining knowledge because I'm watching how they're doing it. I'm I'm hearing the stories. You know, it's almost like you're—I don't want to say you're learning by osmosis, but just because you're putting yourself around it, you're gleaning stuff that you might not even realize until later down the road when you're like, 
I remember Mikel said this. Like, let me dive deeper into that little nugget that I read a week ago or something like that. Well, and I think the fun thing is because you'll hear me talk about it on the daily emails. And then like in two weeks, there'll be an official blog post about, you know, really doing the research and going into that. So you kind of got the, 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 the sneak peek before anyone else. And then you know what's coming up. All right. Can't wait. You sold me. I'll be signing off as soon as we're off this podcast. I'm going to be, uh, you're going to be in my life every morning then when I wake up and, uh, and check good the man, email. Good man. Um, talking the real estate, you mentioned you might be buying in Thailand. So, so China, couple properties looking in Panama, anywhere else that you currently have real estate holdings? No, that's it for my real estate portfolio. You know, we've got the place here we rent, the places in China. I'm looking in Belize and in Panama, and we're going to get a place in Thailand. We really like Chiang Mai, so we're going to show up. That'll that'll be a second home as opposed to more of a, or I suppose a third home. That'll be more, more somewhere that I actually want to keep and live in opposed to rent out. Now, whether I'll put it out on Airbnb when I'm not around, most likely, you know, but I'm not really thinking that far ahead. Thailand is so cheap anyways. And you get the most amazing six bedroom villa for like 200 K or 300 K. And you're like, it's a mansion, you know, here you get like a one bedroom apartment. Well, not even, no, you wouldn't even get a one bedroom apartment for, you wouldn't even get a bachelor apartment for 200 K here. Yeah, it, it's pretty insane. And having been to Thailand quite a few times and listeners will know one of my favorite countries in the world. Now, talking about that really quickly because I, I didn't know we'd get this specific but is it true or untrue that you cannot buy in thailand unless you are a thai citizen there are ways around it usually okay. when you work with a real estate company they will know a guy who will be able to set up a company or a corporation who will own the property and then you are the solo the, the individual shareholder of the company which owns the property and it's pretty straightforward. It gets done every single day. The government knows about it. This is, you know, it's not really dodgy. You know, I, I don't have anyone to recommend or anything like that, but literally if you go and see a real estate agent, they will know the entire process. There's entire sites that deal with just expats. The expat community there is massive and a lot of people own, a lot of people retire there and, you know, get the retirement visa. And, you know, there, there's different ways to get your residency visa, um, through owning properties and, yeah. So real estate, just a smaller portion of what you're doing then. Like the, the places in China, are those investment properties? Are those places that you go and stay in? Some of both? Some of both. You know, we've got a home there, but we also have some investment properties there. Um, my wife goes back more often than I do, but I try to make it at least once or twice a year. We're, I'm looking at a lot of real estate these days, but once again, I don't want to get into specifics you know, there's so many cool deals out there. There's so many interesting things. I am not the world's greatest real estate investor, you know, by any means, but I think it is an important part of a portfolio. You know, really what we've been talking about this entire episode is diversification. And for me, that is really important, but I take diversification a lot further than a lot of other people. So, you know, someone might think that being, uh, in the stock market and owning the S&P 500 and maybe a bit of the QQQs, you know, the ETF for the NASDAQ, um, uh, that might be diversification. Maybe they'll throw in, you know, a rental property down the street. For me, those are all completely correlated assets. You know, for me, 
I want to be in multiple currencies, so I usually have five, six currencies going at once. And whether that is investments in them or earning cash in them or or literally just holding cash, I'll be in five, six currencies at once. I think precious metals are an important part of your portfolio. I think real estate is an important part. I think that you need to look at time. So I own a lot of bonds, but all my coupons for the bonds are all uh, exer- they're all expiring at certain times and they're not all at the same time, you know, they're all spread out. When I trade options, I make sure the expiration for the options is all at different time zones. So not, you know, on the 30th this the 30th of this month, I have, you know, all my options which are going to going to be exercised on the one day. No, they're going to be two weeks or a month apart. I think time is really important. I think your residency You know, I am a non-resident of Canada. I am a resident of the UAE. I also have a special visa in China where I can come and go for 10 years because I have a Chinese wife. You know, we're working on our second citizenship in Panama right now. That's why what we're looking at some of these investments there. I want to have second citizenship. This is diversification. If something happens to you, if something happens to your assets or your livelihood, you know, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. It's so cliche, but it's really true, Travis. Like it's really, really true. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But what if you like? What would you say to the person whose head is swimming? So they listen to the stuff that you're talking about. And they're like, all right, I get it from a macro level, diversification in you know in different currencies. Maybe possibly real estate in different countries. So I get that. I you know I don't want to be tied to one currency or one country. I get the time thing. Hey, you don't want everything happening at once. You know, like let's spread that out. But then they're sitting there saying like, well, how does Mikel, like, how do you know? Because we talked about this as kind of like entrepreneurship, bringing it back to that, where you you want to learn the stuff so that you know you're not getting screwed or you know that you're not, you know, dropping something, money into something that you have no idea about. But you also don't always want to become a master at it because that requires a lot of time and money. So if someone's listening to this, like even myself saying, man, he knows a lot about a lot of different things. What like how did you get into that? And is it is it just curiosity, or do you do you hire people to teach you so you can learn it quicker? What is your strategy for learning? Again, like let's take investing in Panama. All right, you say ah maybe I want to get Pan- Panamanian citizenship. Well, where do you go to even begin to start learning about that? Because that could be a deep dive that could take someone years or a year to even figure out what to do. Okay, well, first off, I am a voracious reader. So I read a ridiculous amount, Travis. I I finish a book every two days, basically. So last year, I read 117 books. This year, I will definitely read 100 books. I listen to podcasts. I am in three different masterminds, one of which I go to Chicago four times a year. It's $15,000 to be a member. And we spend three days or two days, sorry, in a hotel room and we talk entrepreneurship. That's the entrepreneurial side. As for the investing, I have that same type of curiosity. But when I do my due diligence, I really go hard out. So earlier I mentioned I went to Singapore. Well, I had a gentleman, a CEO, who I had on my podcast, and he made an invitation to me to come out and see his facilities. And I wanted to put some money in the vault, but you know, if I'm going to do that and I'm gonna recommend it to my followers and sign off on it, I really wanna see what it's all about. So I flew to Singapore for two days and spent all day with him and went through everything. And he showed me how the security works. You know, this this vault is four minutes from the 
uh, police station. You know, he showed me all the security features. This is the man trap. This is how you come in. This is a class one door. This is how it works. These are the security cameras. These are the lasers. This is how all this works. This is a safety deposit box. I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good now about, you know, putting my money there. Yes, I read the balance sheets. Yes, I read the insurance policy, everything like this. But I think a lot of it is actually visiting it. Last night, yeah, last night I got in from Washington. I went to, I flew over to Washington to have breakfast with a gentleman who is an international real estate developer and he does real estate all through Central America. So I spent two and a half hours with him at breakfast learning about his projects and what he's doing. Now I've had multiple phone conversations with him. I've met his business partners. I've met everyone else in the group. You know, I read the balance sheets. I do all of this type of work beforehand, but still before I'm even going to put a dollar in, I fly out there and see them, especially with these private investments. This is These are not public traded companies, you know. This is not Amazon where you have access to the books, you know, that this is public knowledge. These are private companies. But with this comes often a lot higher returns. So, you know, it's not unheard of to be getting 14%, 16% annual returns that are backed by insurance. But you need to understand how the insurance works. You need to be able to read the policy. Some of these things are very long. I often have a lawyer look at it for me. Once again, I am not a lawyer. I'm not a CPA. But I will pay a lawyer good money to read this type of stuff. You know, and I, I have a good understanding of it. But man, it's, it's, it's these skills that build up over time. This is not like, oh, you know, tomorrow, you know, you're going to be able to do this and it's going to be perfect and you're going to make the greatest decision ever. No, it, it's it's skills that you need to build up. So you deep dive then on, on a subject or on a topic and you, and you kind of get your hands on whatever books or podcasts or blogs or, you know, you kind of find maybe authorities in that space. Do do your own due diligence. Say, all right, I'm going to try to learn as much as I can in, in a fairly quick time period, you know, so that I have an understanding and then say, but I'm also then going to try to either meet someone in person or at least get them on the phone or what have you. And then you know, it's again, cliche, but then you decide to go with your gut. So it's like, Hey, let me do the research and then let me put that, that second element on top. Absolutely. I think that there is a lot to be said for shaking someone's hand and looking them in the eye. And I don't care about, well, I do care about everything else, but really if I have a bad feeling about it or something in my gut, that type of intuition, if it's not there, you know, I'm not going to put my money with you. And you can't do that over the internet. It doesn't come through on email or even on telephone. I'm a very intuitive person. And I know this maybe just sounds like um, mumbo jumbo or something like that, but I really feel like you need to meet someone. And for all of my big investments over the last few years, I have always met the person. And now that I run a podcast and a newsletter and a blog, I feel an even heavier responsibility to my followers to make sure that I take this stuff seriously. So that if I'm on there and I say, listen, you need to, you know, take a look at this. Like I always encourage people, you know, have your own lawyer at it, but please like just take a look at it. See what is going on here. If I say that to you, you already know that there's something there. I don't throw my name around for nothing. That's why I've been very cautious on our interview today because I don't want to give out specific information because I don't know what is going to change in the future. That's why I do daily. I do give alerts and if something happens or, you know, I've been into cryptocurrency for the last couple of years. 
you know, I don't want to make speculations about cryptocurrency on a podcast that someone's going to listen to in five years because it's going to, I don't want to be responsible for any types of uh, money that people put into this stuff. Yeah. Do you ever get burnt out on either A, the travel or B, the, you know, having so many different things going at once and trying to juggle them, trying to balance them while also then being curious about new things and saying, I'm going to add something else to my plate. Do you almost take something off if you're going to add something on or you just say, I'm just going to keep piling on and I'll figure it out? No, I'm good. I love travel, man. I've been traveling. Travel is my entire life. Like I said, I'm, I've been doing this for 20 years. For the investment side, you know, I just look for opportunities. Like maybe it sounds like I'm all over the place or I'm scattered, but really I'm not. I'm actually, you know, we talked about those one or two, those one, two or three main things that you do, and those are your core competencies. It's important to have other skills, but my core competencies is communication. Um, I like to talk. Surprise, surprise. You know, I don't know if you realized on this interview, I like to talk. I like to write. I like any form of conversation, any type of communication. Um, I like the marketing strategy, and my specific niche is overseas investments. You know, it's these offshore markets, how to protect your money. Really, I see this this trifecta is is really close, actually. Like it's for me, it's not all over the place at all. I look for opportunities. If the opportunity is in potash for fertilizer and nitrogen, well, that's where I'm going to go. If the investment like right now is in electric vehicle metals, then, yeah, I'm going to pi start piling cash into that. You know, in a year from now, is that going to be the case? I can't say. Maybe that investment opportunity is gone. Doesn't mean that I'm going to stop searching for opportunity, though. You know, and remember, I've been at this a long time, so I've seen a lot of things come and go. Yeah, mentioning opportunity, like you said, the electric vehicle metal, like as being one specifically right now, and going back to the idea of how much research you do, in that kind of space, do you usually find out about it because you're doing your own research? Is it a combination of people telling you like, you know, people that are in your circle or your close group, you know, maybe a mastermind saying, hey, look into this or and then conversely, when you when you do start looking into it, are you then trying to find like we talked about a mentor or, or even just someone who's more of an expert in that specific space to say, hey, can you kind of look over this with me? Is that what you do when you're when you're getting into something new or, or a new field that you're not exactly sure, you know, what's going on. Well, certainly I do not listen to CNBC or the Squawk Box or any of those types of things for my investment information. I think that's about the worst thing you can possibly do. But yeah, it usually starts with, I don't want to say a tip because that sounds so shady, but you know, someone brings something up and then I'm like, whoa, that's curious. Like for the electric vehicle metals, I had a podcast guest who spoke to me about it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So, you know, me and my team, we spent probably 100 hours researching. I spoke to geologists um, who were in this. I spoke to the lawyers who work for the mines. Now, obviously, they were not able to give me specific, specific information on that mine. But we are, were able to talk in general terms about the production and things like this. You know, and I took a couple of flights and visited some different things. And, you know, I compiled this research. Like, if anyone's interested, like, in specifically the electric vehicle metals, I have the special report. I'm offering it for free right now. If you go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash EVM, you can download that. So EVM for electric vehicle metals. Um, I don't know how long I will be offering it for. It'll probably, 
I'll probably be taking it off the market at some point soon. But if you're interested, I'm happy to live that up for a little bit. I am trying to put together a investment newsletter, which will be a paid subscription site. And the electric vehicle metals is kind of test how my followers like this type of information. If this is the stuff that they want to hear from me about, then I'll continue to publish it. If not, no problem. I'll keep it for myself. I'll keep it for my close friends and, uh, and I'll make the investments myself. Do you ever feel like you're getting in over your head? And I know this uh, as an entrepreneur, you're probably, I mean, I think we've all felt that way at some point and, and you have to live a, with that uncomfortableness or pushing your, your boundaries a little bit. But do you ever feel like you're getting in a situation where you're like, Oh man, whether whether it be financially, like oh you're dealing with people who who blow you away financially, and you're just like maybe not even in all that's not the right word, but just like whoa, okay, this is this is some higher level stuff, or whether it be just a, something that you're talking about, that you're like I have no background in this at all. Let me go and do some research. Like, do you ever you ever feel that, or are you kind of? Well, with the investing side, I think it's quite interesting because I have no formal background with investing. So I see things from a very different lens. You know, I th see things in a different perspective. I don't have my MBA. I'm not even a high school, uh, high school graduate or a college graduate. So when I talk to some people and they're using certain phrases and, you know, I look at things in a different way because I interpret it in my own way. You know, that's interesting, but that stuff doesn't really scare me. It doesn't intimidate me. Um, there's a million things that I know nothing about. Like if you had me on the podcast and you wanted to talk to me about sports, Travis, I'd be like, I wouldn't have one comment, one thing to say, you know, I have no opinion about a lot of stuff, but in certain aspects, yeah, I'm quite opinionated and I I will talk all day about this stuff if you want to. I'm very opinionated on education and big banking and big corporations, big government, big medical. I'm a big one. Uh, I don't like what's going on in medical these days. And the insurance, you know, I go to Korea to have my medical procedures done. I don't go back to Canada. You know, like when my mom had eye surgery, I sent her to Canada. Or Sorry, I sent her to Korea. I didn't send her to Canada. You know, these, these types of things I'm very opinionated about, but you know, I don't know anything about fashion. I don't know anything about cars. I don't even drive a car. Never got my license. I don't know, uh, any sports teams, you know, oh, man. You're, like, you're cracking I just me up. geek I, out <laughs> on certain things, Travis, you know, like I just geek out and just go crazy on this stuff, I but I love it. You know, I totally understand. And I love I love throwing. I love when I'm talking to someone who's who interests me so much. Like, and you're just throwing it around. Like, I'm gonna go do my medical stuff in Korea. And you you mentioned something earlier. Like, oh, I flew to Washington D.C. for. Uh, or I guess it was D.C. You said Washington, but yeah, I, yeah I was. That'd be interesting if you're going to Washington State. But yeah, I flew to Washington <laughs> D.C. for breakfast, and then I came back. And even me, who who loves traveling, and I think for most people, they see it like, oh, you do some pretty cool or quote unquote crazy stuff. It's not crazy, but it's it's just out of the norm. And I'm sitting here listening like, all right, he just flew to Washington for a breakfast for two and a half hours and came back. To me, that's even like that's another level then. Um but but it is. I guess it's one of those things where you say, this is what I'm building my life around, right? Like I know I have to go and see someone, meet them in the eye. Plus I don't mind the the travel because you enjoy doing that. So for you it's like, well why wouldn't I just book a flight to go do it? I, I guess is that the mindset? Yeah. And it's responsibility, Travis. It's responsibility. I feel like if you are writing something, if you are putting out content, if you have followers, and we're talking about real money here, people are really putting their own dollars at risk. 
I feel like I owe it to them. If I'm not putting in that type of work, then shame on me, you know, shame on me. So yes, I take some trips and they don't pan out and things didn't go as according to plan and I didn't make an investment, but at least I did my part, you know, and like I said, I love traveling and travel is easy. You know, the States, I fly to Washington, 14 hours, it's direct flight. I fly business class. I sleep the whole way. I have a glass of Cabernet. I just chill out. You know, it's, this is not, this is not hardcore travel. I've done hardcore travel. I hitchhiked through Central America and slept in a tent. You know, I, I got picked up by the Colombian army and drove around. That's what I'm doing now is not that, you know, like I like the budget travel. I like the, I had some of my best times in my life doing that. But yeah, this is different. This is a bit different. I was going to ask you about that. So it dovetails really nicely of, of your travel style nowadays. And so you mentioned flying business class. So is that, obviously your business, your travel style has changed. Is it, has it changed when you're traveling like for, for pleasure as well? Are you, are you still kind of doing luxury travel now? Or are you saying, oh, no, like this is business, so I got to go. I'm going to do business class. I want to wake up refreshed. Like there's a purpose behind this. But when I'm doing stuff generally for pleasure, I am a little more budget or or I'm kind of getting back to my quote unquote roots. Well, so if I go to Washington for two days, I and my meeting, like we can use this as an example because it was literally yesterday. My meeting was at 7 a.m. I am not flying in economy class in a tiny little seat to go there for a 7 a.m. meeting and then turn around and come back. I need a full night's rest. You know, I would be so ruined if I had shown up at that meeting and could not perform, could not, you know, this deal could be worth a million, this deal could be mul worth multiple millions of dollars to me. I need to take that seriously. You know, as a general rule, if I am traveling and it's, five hours or less and it's for pleasure hey man i don't care i'll sit in economy class if i'm doing an overnight flight yeah probably not i'll be in business class and if it's for business and it's a short turnaround i am always flying in business class so it's it's i don't have like a hard and fast rule i always do this right you know and I'm, I'm certainly not pretentious about any of these types of things I love to travel and I am just excited and happy to be out there and I will always make it happen no matter what my financial situation is, no matter how much money I have in the bank. If I got extra money, I go business class. If, you know, if I need to Airbnb when I get there, I will. If not, you know, I'll stay at the Ritz-Carlton. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me. So then how much travel do you get to do for pleasure at this point? Is, is there a decent amount of that sprinkled in? Well, it is all pleasure in that I enjoy what I am doing. Sure. But my wife is a little bit annoyed with me because we did not, we only went on vacation once this year, which was a trip to China, which was like only 10 days or something like that. Even though I promised her that I would take her to Turkey and to Morocco, um, which are two countries that she desperately wants to go to. Turkey I've been to twice and Morocco I spent two months there when I was 19. So I'm... I would guess I will have to push them off till next year. She's been bugging me for a while, but yeah. yeah, you're running out of time. We're recording this in like end of November 2018. So you're definitely running out of time here um, when it comes to, to sneaking, sneaking those. And so, so your travel a lot, a lot of it has a business side to it, but obviously you're enjoying it. And w would you say that a lot of times if you're traveling somewhere for business, let's say, all right, you went and you visited the gold vault, right? Are you then spending time on the ground there just 
doing something that you want to do that isn't involved in something wrapped around the business? I love to eat, which is once again difficult because I am a celiac, but I really do love to eat. So I think it's really exciting to go and, you know, sit in a restaurant, sit in a cafe, have some nice food. Um, I do drink alcohol. So, you know, having a cocktail or a whiskey or a glass of Cabernet is pretty cool also. Um, you know, I like that kind of stuff. I'm pretty chilled out person. I'm pretty relaxed. A good book, b- bit of people watching. That's usually enough for me. Nice, nice. Yeah, and that you can do anywhere in the world, and it's always going to be different wherever you do it, which is pretty neat. Uh, you know, nothing beats people watching in a new country, or even when you've been to it quite a few times, because it's always changing. All right, before I let you get out of here, biggest travel mishap that you've ever had? Like I said, I've traveled a lot. I've been to El Salvador. I spent two months in Colombia. I've been to North Korea. I spent two weeks in Iran by myself. You know, and in all of these places, these axis of evil and dangerous and world's most dangerous countries and things like that, you know what? I have never had a problem. I have just never, never had a problem. But I remember one time I was in France and I was walking around to do some sightseeing or something. I was probably like, 18 or 19 or something like that. And I started getting followed by these French punks. And, you know, this is, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but I started getting followed by these French punks and they had their dogs and I had to run inside to a McDonald's and hide in there for like two hours until they finally left. And I'm like, how do I travel to all of these crazy places? And I've never had a problem. You know, Iran's supposed to be this terrible horrible place. It is actually probably arguably one of the most beautiful countries on planet earth with the most generous and gentle and kind individuals, amazing food and incredible history that exists there. And then Paris or France is supposed to be, you know, the most visited country in the world and all this amazing stuff. And it is, but that's where people end up having problems. That's where the touts are. That's where the robbery and the pickpocketing and the violent crime and stuff happens. So I don't know, like, I, I think that's illustrative of what actually happens in the world. You know, a lot of people, a lot of places are misrepresented. Colombia, totally misrepresented. I spent two months there. One of the best experiences of my life. Never had a problem. But Western Europe, you know, a couple times, different things. Yeah, as someone who's getting ready to go to Colombia for the first time, and I just told a buddy of mine who who doesn't travel much, you know, just a, a friend that I've known for a long time, like, oh, yeah, we're going to Colombia, so that, and he just looks at me and goes, have you been there before? I'm like, no, I'm super excited. He goes, but it's Colombia. I'm like, yeah, I, you just get done watching Narcos season three Narcos, or something, like, oh, yeah, or whatever season they're on, and I, he's like, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, that was a long time ago, or not a long time, that was... A different time there in Colombia. And, and I'm with you. I think, you know, having never been to Iran, but obviously hearing a ton of people, I, I probably that's the country that I've spoken to people the most or had the most feedback from of people saying you it is completely wrong what people think the nicest, so most wrong. generous. Yeah. So I, I'm with you. So I'll have, to, I'll have to get there at some point. So wrong. Travis, you got you got to check it out. I, I would put that at number one, like most interesting country on the planet. Like at least, you know, in my 
experience. That's fine. I you've think... been to 104, so you've got a little bit of clout, man. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> uh, that's moving up my list then. What do you have coming up in the pipeline? We talked a little bit about it, or we talked a lot about what some of the things you're looking at, but what do you have coming up in the pipeline, either either personally and, and stuff you're excited to do or places you're excited to travel, or then with the with the blog and with the podcast? Anything on the horizon that you're thinking, hey, this is interesting. This is, you know, people are going to like this. Yeah, so I've got a new book that by the time we air this will have been published and it's called Expat Secrets and it's going to be really cool. And the subtitle is kind of a work in progress. So the sub subtitle will be somewhere around of uh, your lifestyle guide to making giant piles of money and legally paying zero taxes by living overseas. So I think that's going to be pretty cool. Um, I'm really excited about it. I've been working on it for seven months now. I'm on the seventh iteration of the book. And uh, if anyone has ever wrote a book before, you will understand when I say it is a lot of work. It's really challenging. But uh, I'm stoked. I've had a lot of good feedback from my proofreaders. Um, I've had some absolutely famous, incredible human beings, best-selling authors peruse the book and and leave very nice reviews on it. Um, yeah. If, so if that excited. tagline doesn't hook you, I don't know what the, uh, what does, right? I mean, you say it's a work exactly. in progress. That sounds pretty good uh, to me. We will link all that up in the show notes, guys. Uh, Mikhail, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today, allowing me to pick your brain on, I would say, one fascinating subject, but we kind of, we hit a bunch, right? I, I mean, all wrapped around this expat idea and and um and how to save money and finances and all that but we talked a bit a bit about a lot of stuff so thanks for shedding light on all that stuff that i think can be super confusing super overwhelming and like like i kind of mentioned at the top of the show it seems a little bit shysty, right? You go down the rabbit hole of the internet and you start finding websites you're like, I don't know if this jives with me, but after talking to you, I'm, I feel like, hey, this is a guy who's doing something to help other people out, who's actually putting his money where his mouth is, who's going and doing things to, to see, to be on the ground, to make sure it's okay, and then saying, even still with the caveats of like, do your own research, I'm not going to sell you snake oil, like this is, you know, I'm going to show you what I'm doing, and hopefully you can glean some information from that. So thank you, man, for all the advice and also for coming at it from a perspective that I think maybe a lot of people in similar fields might not come at it from. So thank you for that. And remind people one more time, how can they get a hold of you? How can they find your show? How can they get on the daily newsletter that I'm going to hop on in just a second? So if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, that's where you're going to find all my writing. That's where you're going to find the podcast. That's where you're going to find a lot of the current opportunities and investments and things like that. That is also where you are able to sign up for the newsletter, which I highly encourage people to do. It's called EMS Pulse. It is a daily correspondence. So if you're not looking to get to hear from me daily, maybe it's not for you. But uh, I, I promise it is very entertaining, um, a lot of fun. But yeah, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere that popular podcasts are found. And as for the book, go to Amazon, Expat Secrets, Amazon, easy peasy. Awesome. Thank you, Mikhail. Guys, we will link everything up in the show notes. So you can get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows. You can find the show notes for this show and all 300 and however many plus, plus, plus that we're at at this point. Uh, thanks again, Mikhail. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Travis. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris.